Every uh, so often during the summer months, uh, in order to bind uh, the hearts of our churches together in the Engage Network, we give you an opportunity to hear from the hearts of the other pastors in the Engage Network, and today is one of those opportunities, uh, both for Sailorville and also for Lakeside, as I will be making a beeline up there uh, after a little bit. I'll get to listen to Brother Josh for a little while here, so that'll be fun. Um, if I, I was thinking, as I was thinking about Josh coming today, I thought, I thought of those uh, restaurants where you can go in and build your own pizza. And uh, I know, I have no idea where this analogy is going, but bear with me. You know, where you can go in and pick out all the ingredients you want, less or more, and whatnot. And, you know, if we could do that with a machine, if I could go up to a machine and, and pick out, you know, what the consummate church planter would be, he would have to be relatively young which means, of course, he won't always be a church planner. But he also has to be a man with great integrity, great character. He would have to be a man with great passion and with soul-winning abilities given to him by God. He would have to be a man of the word. And he would have to be a humble man who could take both the praise and the guff at the same time. But, you know, it'd be hard to, you know, you'd have to hit all those buttons on that machine. So if I had a machine that had church planner, it would just have Josh Daggett. Because in my opinion, he is the consummate church planner. And it blesses my very soul to have him in the Engage Network, to be the pastor of Living Waters Fellowship, and to be in our pulpit today. And so please welcome Josh Daggett as he brings the word of God to you today, okay? Love you. Morning, Sailorville. Good to see all you guys here this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Titus uh, chapter 2, which is where we're going to be this morning. And, and just as you're turning in your, in your Bibles um, to Titus 2, I just want to say thanks to Pat. Um, that, trust me, I, that, that was over the top in, in a lot of ways. And very touching, very touching to me. And Pat, from the heart, and I, and I love you back, and I, and I love the Engage Network, and love what God's doing at Lakeside, and at High Point, and down at Living Waters. Um, you know, I just, don't you love your pastor? I mean, I mean he's, uh, yeah, he's probably, up, yeah, you can clap for him. <laughs> um, I, I'm a sinner saved by God's grace, and there's not much more that can be said than that. Um, I never... I never dreamt that I'd be a pastor. I never thought I'd be a pastor. Um, I didn't even think I was saved growing up, and I wasn't saved. I didn't even think I'd ever be born again, to be honest. And um, So being here preaching in front of Sailorville Church, and, and I get the privilege and opportunity to preach to my, my family down at Living Waters every Sunday is is just a privilege beyond anything that I could ever ask or imagine. And isn't that how God works in our lives? He does things beyond what we could ask or imagine. He does things, he, like, he takes things that, that don't seem to make sense, or he takes situations that don't seem like they're going to work out, and he does beyond that, does he not? Kevin Thomas is on a harmonica this morning. Praise God, right? Amen. And... God just does exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. And so I want to say thanks to Pat, thanks to Sailorville for you as a church body. I've, I've said it before when I've had the opportunity to preach here. 
But you guys are awesome. You guys are an amazing body of believers that, that God has called together and saved and redeemed and, and called on mission. And you guys have supported our church on the south side of Des Moines in ways that, that you can't really see, but we see it and we feel it and we say thank you. Um, I, I do want to say on a lighter note, thanks to all the VBS workers. Amen. You guys, you guys rock, all right? Okay, you're on the back end. This, I know which Sunday this is. I know why Pat gave me this preaching opportunity. <laughs> I'm on the back end of VBS, all right? I get that. All right, so I'm going to do my best to keep you uh, awake and alive here. But uh, we're on the front end of ours. We're in massive preparations for our VBS in, uh, in two weeks. And so, so on, the, on the front end... Southside, I understand what you guys went through, what you, how you prepared, how you taught and you poured into those kids and praise God for the genuine born-again salvations that are, that are coming through those, those efforts that you guys made. So I praise God for you guys. VBS workers, way to go. You guys are awesome. Um, well, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2 and I have a simple question after I read the text of scripture. Try to, Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11... And we'll read down through 14, Titus 2, 11 through 14. And starting in verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Praise God for his word. Amen. Let's uh, open up in prayer. Father. Thank you, God, for your word this morning. I thank you for the privilege to preach it. Father, you know that in and of myself, I'm completely unworthy, Lord, to be up here preaching your word. But Lord, I thank you that that's not the end of the story. I thank you that Jesus was worthy for me. I thank you that Jesus was worthy for every sinner in this room to redeem them with his blood and bring them here. To worship you, Lord Jesus, our great Savior. And so, Lord, I pray that you would receive all the praise and the honor and the glory from the word that we hear. And Spirit, may you come and move in our hearts. Save the sinner in this room, Lord. Sanctify the saint in this room, God, by the power of your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, My one question is, how do we know that we're born again? You guys have just come off of a VBS week where children make decisions, and ultimately the question comes in, well, do you think they were really saved? I mean, do you think that decision was really real? I mean, really, really real? And, and, and we come out of these, these weeks where we serve kids, we share the gospel, or maybe you're doing a Bible study with somebody right now, and you're, you're pouring the word of God into them, and you're, and you're hoping that maybe they can, they can, they can be saved, and maybe they gotta pray that sinner's prayer, and, 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 and then maybe they're, they're in, right? They're in the kingdom of heaven. 
But ultimately, there's a question deep within our hearts and in our minds that won't quite leave us alone, right, as believers. How do we know that we're born again? I, I track Pastor Pat and Dave and Greg on their podcast, so I listen to their messages every week. So I know exactly what was preached here last week. And I was listening to Pat's message and, on John 3 and Jesus interacting with Nicodemus in John 3. And I just, I really sensed, you know, the Spirit of God moving through the Word. And, and Pat preached a great message last week on what it means to be born again, that it's beyond a prayer. And I just want to, I want to follow that up. Uh, I've been in the book of Titus for, for the last seven days. I've read it probably about 15 times, and I'm just digging into this little book. And I think there's some valid answers to the question, how do we know? How do we know that we know that we know that we're born again? And Titus doesn't specifically deal with all right, the Jesus and Nicodemus passage, but it does deal with, I think, in some really cool parallels, how we know that we are born again. When I was growing up, I grew up Baptist, so ultimately, uh, it's kind of funny that I'm preaching here at VBS time, because if you grew up Baptist at all, you know, summertime, VBS was your salvation quota time. You know what I'm talking about? Like, ultimately, it was the time where, where um, after every week, uh, we, would, we would come back together, and I grew up in a small Baptist church, and so um, evangelism was a non-existent ministry in our church. It wasn't that people didn't love Jesus, and it wasn't that people did not love the glory of God. It was ultimately that, that this, this whole idea of, of reaching out and evangelizing souls was just foreign, and I remember almost yearly, we would sit in uh, business meetings after VBS, and we would have the VBS report. You guys know what I'm talking about? We have the VBS report. Well, how did VBS go this year? Well, it went great. I mean, we, we had uh, 16 decisions for Jesus Christ. Amen! All right! Hallelujah! Quota done, all right? And we are, we've done our evangelism for the year. Now, nobody said that. It was not stated in the meeting, all right? It, wasn't, it didn't go down in the minutes. Evangelism done for the year. Got it. But it was felt, right? It was like, oh, we had these decisions for Jesus, and now we move on to what we normally do, all right, and what we're, what we're used to. And, and ultimately, that, that goes in every different kind of denominational upbringing. So if you're Catholic, if you grew up Catholic, it was your, your catechism and your confirmation, and, and you were saved at your baptism. And so all of a sudden, they, they begin to put, like, your born-again experience in Catholic theology kind of unrolls itself throughout time and, and family and church upbringing. And if you're Lutheran, Presbyterian, same kind of thing. Like, conversion just kind of happens over time, and there's never a moment. And I want to just totally say that it is a moment. Amen? It's a moment in time. And so, so ultimately, it's, it's, not, it's not more than a prayer, all right? but it's not less than one either. Do you get it? Like, like to be born again, to be born of the Spirit of God all right, is obviously something that we need to get handled. And I think in Matthew chapter 7, many people are going to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these mighty works in your name and mighty miracles and do all these things? And Jesus is going to say what? Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. So there are people walking around in the church, in among us, 
doing these great things, doing all these wonderful works that Jesus is going to look at them and he is going to say at the end of the ages, depart from me, workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. Jesus in Matthew 13 talks about the wheat and the tares. In in the middle of God's kingdom being built, there are good seeds that come into the ground and they grow up and they're wheat, right? And ultimately, there are also tares sown among the wheat and there are both growing up at the same time. And Jesus said, you got to wait. You have to wait until the angels do the harvesting, right? And we'll see who's genuine, who's not. In Matthew 25, there's the sheep and the goats where Jesus Christ himself separates the sheep whom he knows from the goats whom he doesn't. So we've got to get a grip on this term being born again and we need to understand how do we know? How do we know that we are born again? Well, the book of Titus, I think, gives us some clues. If you look at verse 11, Titus writes, or, uh, Paul writes these words. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And so the answer to the question, how do we know that we are born again, comes in verse 11. And the answer is the grace of God. Amen? How do you know you're born again? How do you know that you are born again? It, the answer is the grace of God. Amen? And that word grace means unmerited favor. It means the, the unearned favor of God, where God takes the initiative in your life as a sinner, and He does a work that only He can do. Amen? He does a work that no person can do for you. He does a work that no program can do for you. He does a work that no church service can do for you. He makes you a new person by His power and by His grace. God's grace empowers us to know that we've been born again. You might have walked in here, maybe you came to VBS this week, I'm not sure. But maybe you walked in here and you're like, Josh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm born again. The answer is the grace of God for you. Titus was written by Paul. It's a letter um, that he wrote toward the end of his life. And this, this letter would have been written about 40 years after Jesus and Nicodemus talked in John 3. All right, so about 40 years later, after Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, Paul wrote this letter to Titus. A lot has happened in 40 years. I mean, Peter has preached a sermon, 2,000 people have gotten saved. He preached another sermon, 3,000 people have gotten saved. The church has been, has been absolutely exploded onto the scene of history at this point. 40 years down the road. I mean, think about it. Where were you 40 years ago? I wasn't born. I wasn't a twinkle in my teenage mother's eye at that point. Right? I I mean, where were you 40 years ago? This is 40 years after Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. A lot has happened, and Titus was given the task of of appointing elders in, in every city in the island of Crete, and Crete was a tough place. Crete was a tough city. A lot of false teachers there, especially Jewish false teachers there. And Paul was giving his, his young 
uh, ministry partner Titus, whom he might have led to Jesus. In Titus chapter 1, verse 4, it says to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Paul only used that when he basically led them to Christ. So I believe Paul led Titus to Jesus, and Paul was pouring in courage into this this young ministry worker who was on the island of Crete trying to get the church in order on this hard island that was was tough going. And ultimately, the grace of God in verse 11 of chapter 2 is where Paul lands the plane in regards to the center of the gospel. And I just want to unpack three things that grace does to us Three, three things that grace does to us in starting in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. So if we are born again by grace, we know this, that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So the first thing I'd like to lay down with you this morning is that grace saves our souls. Okay, grace saves our souls. And the word there in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That word salvation is soterion, and it literally means to act as a defender or a defense, a saving or a, a rescuing. So Jesus Christ has appeared, the grace of God has appeared in the form of Jesus Christ, and he has appeared to defend sinners and to bring ultimate salvation to sinners. How do you know you're born again? How do you know that you're born again this morning? I would, I would, I would argue this morning, based off of verse 11, that you know that you're born again by the grace of God, and that grace saves you from hell. And it saves your very soul. And here, here's what I mean by that. Um, we, had a, we had a gal who has been coming to Living Waters for the last uh, couple months. And she kind of wandered into the back of the church uh, about two months ago. And she is a Italian. All right, any Italians in here? She's an Italian Catholic gal. All right. And she's Southside all of her life. All right. So she's a Southside Italian Catholic gal. And she's, um, she went to Dowling High School. And she walked into the back of our church. And she, had, she calls it Mass still. She's like, hey, I came, back, I came to your Mass last week. Thank you. Her name's Teresa. And she walked into the back of our church a couple months ago. And she heard me preaching through the book of Jonah. And instantly God was beginning to work on her heart and begin to, to just kind of bring down the defenses of her heart. Because if you grow up Italian, and if you grow up Catholic, and if you grow up on the south side of Des Moines, you have certain defense mechanisms in your life and in your mind that you're going to put forward to keep you from Jesus Christ. And God just began to work on her week in and week out. She began to come and sit in the back of our gym and, and hear the word of God. And, and over and over again, like as I would interact with her after services, she would come up to me and I'd say, hey, Teresa, what'd you think of the message? She'd say, oh, pastor. That's, how, that's exactly how she talks. You talk about that Jesus thing. She's like, you know what? I don't know much, but I, I, I'm getting that stuff. That's exactly how she talks. And so I, I went week after week, the, the fun highlight of my week was to kind of talk to Teresa, see how she's picking up the messages, you know. 
and say, hey, Teresa, what'd you think about this, this week's message? I'm telling you what, pastor. She's like, you talk about me letting Jesus into my heart thing. She's like, I know I need to do that. I know I need to do that. I'm like, well, Teresa, what, what's keeping you? Well, there's a lot of things keeping me. I'm, I'm Catholic, for goodness sakes. And, and week after week, I just keep asking her. And she's just like, Pastor, I know. I know. I need to let the Lord in. I know I need to let the Lord in. She's like, but I just, I just don't know when that's going to happen. I just don't know when that's going to happen. And I would meet with her and her fiancé every week. And we've been doing Bible study and all that sort of thing. And, and it was two weeks ago, I think, I was meeting with them. And, Teresa, how's it going? Oh, pastor, it's just going so good. I just so appreciate all those, those verses from Scripture and all those stories that you're telling me. And it's all starting to make sense. I'm like, okay, that's good. And she's asking about baptism, and she's asking about all these different things, you know. And So ultimately, I said, but Teresa, I mean, ultimately, you're going to need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're going to have to let Christ into your heart and into your soul. You're going to have to let him save you. You're going to have to let him change you. And... She looked at me and she's like, well, I, I, think, I think that's already happened. I'm like, it has. Teresa, that's already happened? That's great. And she's like, I'm like, well, when did that happen? And she said, well, she's like, it just happened this way, Pastor. I was just sitting there. I was, I was, I was Friday, you know, I had a long day. And, you know, I, was, I, I hopped in the shower and I was thinking about all the stuff you were telling me about, about Jesus and about my sin and about all the stuff that's in my life that, that Jesus is kind of just starting to take away. And she said, right there in the shower. I started bawling my eyes out. I gave my life to Jesus right there in the shower. <laughs> and that's exactly how she came to Christ. It was, it was wonderful. But you know what, Teresa, from the week that she visited, right, till, till the day she got saved, Jesus had to do some things, didn't he? He had to start taking down all of the defenses. And I'll tell you what, you're not that much unlike Teresa. You and I are not that, that distant from Teresa. You have defenses that you put up before the living God and you put up before Jesus Christ himself. And, and Jesus Christ, how do you know that you're born again? God begins to strip your defenses, doesn't he? He begins to strip you of everything that you're trusting in until all you see is your sin and a holy God. That is exactly how being born again works is because God has to strip down all of your sinful habits and defenses till all you see is yourself and a holy God and his wrath coming upon you for your sin. And Jesus Christ comes in and saves the day. Amen? And that's called grace. And that's how you know that you're born again is that grace saves your soul. You get to a place in your life where you're done fighting, you're done pretending, you're done, you're done putting up defenses against Jesus and you see, you see God and His holiness and His righteous standards to get to heaven and you know that you are completely exposed before the living God. And then grace happens, right? Jesus Christ sweeps in and saves the day and He's your only defense. Which is why we sing a song like Christ alone. Amen? Cornerstone. Because it's only Him. Grace saves your souls. And 
Two, grace instructs our minds. How do you know that you're born again? How do we know that we're born again? Grace not only saves our souls, but it instructs our minds. Look at uh, verse 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us or instructing us or disciplining us to deny or renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. The grace of God that saves, that causes somebody to be born again is not a, a grace that simply makes somebody pray a prayer. Grace continues to influence the heart and life of a person who's genuinely born again by disciplining and instructing that person to deny ungodliness. Amen? And to deny and to renounce worldly passions. There is a responsibility for the church of God, of Jesus Christ, in America especially, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Is there not? There is a need for true biblical born-again Christians to have the Spirit of God and the grace of God so influence their heart that they become uncomfortable with ungodliness and worldly passions. And here's what I mean by that. In America, we've, we've, I just heard this last week. In America, it's not that materialism is like this great, this great evil in the world. All right? Here, it's scarier than that. Can we say that in the American church? Materialism is scarier than that. Materialism has so gripped our hearts as American Christians that we are comfortable with our materialism. We know materialism destroys, but we've gotten to the place in our culture where we are comfortable with it. We let it drag us away from obedience to Jesus Christ, devotion to Jesus Christ, and full-on, I don't know, born-again living, maybe? Grace instructs our minds. And you could almost substitute out Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24 for this, this verse because ultimately it is putting off and putting on. When someone is born again, the grace of God so influences their lives that they put off the ungodliness and the worldly passions and they choose to live self-controlled, upright, godly in this present age, not for their own glory, but because the grace of God is so moving on their hearts. How do you know that you're born again? God awakens your mind. You know that you're born again because your mind is changed. Isn't that the meaning of the word repentance in Acts chapter 2? When, Paul, when Peter is preaching a sermon and everybody says, what must we do? He says, repent. Amen? Change your thinking. All who have been born again, God radically moves in their lives by grace to change their thinking. And for some of you, you just got stinking thinking. You got horrible thinking because Jesus Christ, maybe you prayed a prayer for him to get you out of hell, but ultimately you have never allowed him to transform your mind. Here's what I mean. I'm 17 years old. I've never read a book, all right, throughout high school. I, okay, maybe one, maybe one, maybe. 
All the cheaters, raise your hand. Have you cheated your way through high school? It's, oh, liars. <laughs> I cheated my way through high school. Never read a book, wasn't interested in books. Forced to go on a missions trip to New York City, hear the gospel for the first time. Absolutely born again. All right, with my brother at my side, my brother Jordan. And I remember both of us being radically changed, not only in our affections, but in our minds. And I started devouring books. Devouring books, because I wanted to know if what I believed in was true. But more than that, I wanted to know what the living God was doing in my life, because I felt His presence, I felt Him changing my perspective on things. Amen? If you're born again, not only will Jesus save your soul, but he will change your mind. He will instruct your mind and he will discipline you until you start changing your mind. Amen, Christians? He will beat you up until you start changing your thinking. I'm meeting with a guy right now that um, I just really have a heart for. He's a, he's a non-Christian. He, he lives uh, south side, obviously, you know, and lives in our neighborhood, and he and I have just really connected, and he doesn't know Jesus as his Savior, and he and I have been meeting every week um, in a Bible study setting, and he he came up to me just uh, three weeks ago, and he said, Pastor, here's the deal. He's like, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. He's like, I mean, and this guy knows his theology, all right? He knows his theology. He's He's like, I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I prayed to ask him into my life. And he said, you know, and I, and I can tell you about the Bible. I can tell you about the stories. I can tell you about all that. He's like, but I just love smoking weed. <laughs> I, I'm serious. And as some of you are like, you know, I'm, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> He's just like, dude, I just can't stop smoking weed. He's like, I just like it. He's like, it just tastes good. It just, it just, it just relaxes my mind. It does all these things for me. Is he born again? thought to ponder, all right? Take that home and roll that around in your brain. Is he born again? And I've asked him that question. I said, dude, are you born again? Are you born again from above? Are you born by God? I don't care what prayers you prayed. Are you born again? Did Jesus Christ give you a new heart and a new mind? And we've been meeting every week and we've been going through um, Desiring God by John Piper, which I would highly recommend as a resource if you haven't read it. And I'm starting to see. It's really cool. I don't know if his prayer was genuine or not, but you know what we're starting to see? I'm starting to see with my, my Bible study, I'm starting to see his mind change. Amen? Like he's starting, he's starting, he's coming every week and he's like, dude, this, is, this book's ridiculous. This is, this, I've never thought about these verses. I've never thought about this stuff before and all of a sudden God is in the midst of transforming his mind. Is he born again? I'll tell you later. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But grace saves our souls. Grace instructs our minds. And grace transforms our eyes. Um, Look at verse 13. Waiting for or looking for. Some of your versions might say looking for. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
So the grace of God comes upon us and saves our souls and instructs our minds. And what does it finally do? It transforms our eyes. Look, look at what they're doing. People who have been influenced by the grace of God in verse 13 are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. People who have been born again are looking to the heavens. Amen? We're looking for the appearing of the glory of Jesus Christ. We have an expectation that he is coming soon for us. Ever since the first century, Christians have been looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are no different. We are looking for the second coming of Christ, are we not? And that appearing is glorious. When we look at that, Jesus Christ coming again, we're in for glory. Amen? We're in for glory. And this is cool, all right, because we are to fix our eyes on that. Looking or waiting for that moment. All right, the word in Greek is prosdekomai, and it means to, to open oneself up, to engage, and to gaze. All right, the word is a very intimate word. Being born again simply transforms the way we look at God and the gospel and Jesus Christ. We are waiting, we are eagerly anticipating, we are ready to engage, we are staring down the hope or the idea that Jesus Christ is going to appear in his glory and he is our great God and Savior. We're looking for Jesus, ultimately to be born again. How do you know that you're born again? God's grace has influenced your heart in such a way that you're looking for the coming of Christ and the coming of Jesus doesn't bore you, it excites you. Okay, now I'm not talking about end times charts. All of you guys get your pocket charts out. Put, no, put them back. Put them back in your pants pockets. I'm not talking about end times charts and all that stuff. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the intimate reality that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment for you and me. All right, now, I got a picture, and Doug, if you could throw that up here. I got a picture of my daughter. All right, this is, this is my third daughter, Naraya, and um, look at those eyes. Amen? She, she's seven months old, and she has the biggest, bluest eyes. I mean, out of all three daughters, she has by far the biggest, bluest eyes out of all three. And when she locks in on you, okay, you can just picture that. She'll be here for second service. Sorry. <laughs> She'll be here. And, and when she locks in, I mean, it's amazing the effects that she has on the people she locks in on. Like we went through the air, airport, the airport yesterday. We came back from Florida. And we were going through the airport. And, and people are just like, I mean, like magnets to this little girl, right? And they're just, oh, my goodness. Oh. <gasps> Oh my goodness, look at this girl. Oh my goodness, she has the prettiest eyes. She does, all right? She does. But when she locks in on you, and when you watch Naraya, she's just like, everything's new. Like, everything's just brand new. She, she's, she's taking stuff in for the very first time, and you can tell that she's just kind of just absorbing everything. That's the message that Paul is trying to give. Christian, when you think about the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, do your eyes get like that? 
Do your eyes eagerly anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ in all of his glory? People who are born again, they look. Their eyes are transformed. They start looking for things that they never thought they would look for. And if you're here and you're born again, you're looking. You're looking for your Savior. You're waiting for your King to come. And whether you go meet him first or he comes and meets you, you don't care which way it goes. You just want to meet him face to face. Amen? Don't you want to see Jesus? Don't you want to look in his eyes? Don't you want to just finally see him face to face? If you're a born-again Christian, you think about it. Maybe not all the time, but man, when you lock in on that, you think and think and think and think, what's it going to be like to see him? To see the one who died for me, the one who redeemed me, the one who shed his blood for me. What is it going to be like to see him? And it's the joy of your life. More joyful than your house and your cars and your kids even is to see Jesus Christ face to face and to embrace him and to look in his eyes. To look into the eyes of your Savior. Now you guys got a pretty excitable pastor. Amen? I can say that. He's gone, right? Okay, I can say that now. Have you ever looked into Pastor Pat's eyes before? Okay, especially like when he's excited about something, which is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Guy's always excited about something. You ever look into his eyes? What do you sense about Pastor Pat's eyes? When he's zoned in on something, it's cool to kind of kind of pick that up, isn't it? It's cool to just kind of let that transfer into you a little bit. I'll tell you what, Pat Nemers' eyes are nothing compared to the eyes of Jesus. Believer in Christ, you who have been born again, you will see him face to face. And that will be a day where everybody who is born again looks forward to with great anticipation. Jesus Christ, in verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Those who have been born again have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, bought back from the slave market of sin. And all those who have been bought back say, Amen, right? He redeemed us from all lawlessness. Did you guys know that before you knew Jesus Christ, you were fairly passionate about sin? You were fairly excitable about doing bad deeds. And Jesus Christ gave himself, his very self for you and for me, to redeem us from those lawless deeds and to purify for himself a people. If you're here and you're born again, which I'm not assuming, I'm not assuming anything in this room. If you're here and you're born again, Jesus Christ is purifying you as a specific people for his name. And what's that? What's the goal of that? What's the goal of his purification? He is making for himself a people of his own possessions who are zealous for good works. All right? I jump around a lot at my church. I do. I, I, I go side to side, up and down, all around, all right? 
Because Jesus Christ, I used to be that way about sin, and 13 years ago, Jesus Christ radically revolutionized and saved my soul and caused me to be born again. And he is purifying me to make me not zealous for the darkness anymore. Zealous for good deeds. And so a church that's alive and well worth the drive, as Carlos Adame used to say around here, a church that is alive and well worth the drive is full of born-again people who have been redeemed from being passionate about darkness and who are now passionate about good deeds. Amen? So if you're here this morning, there's a lot of places where you could be. Some of you are drinking Jesus' saving grace even now for the first time. I just believe that. I believe that some people in here are not born again and this word from Jesus Christ and from through the words of the Apostle Paul are convicting you of your sin and drawing you to salvation even now. I believe that. And there's going to be a moment in time where God's infinite grace, he woke you up this morning. All right, did I call you, all y'all this morning? Give you a little wake up call? No. God got you up. Do you ever think about that? God got you up. Not your alarm clock. It was God. And he has brought you here to, to ultimately make you a born again Christian. And this morning is the morning of your salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth, right? Jesus as Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If God's grace is moving on you in that kind of way, he will cause you to be born again. Some of you are drowning in the reality of false belief. Some of you are just drowning this morning because everything that you've been doing is a sham. Everything that you've been doing is a sham. Your heart's not new. It's not born again. You are on your way to hell and judgment. And ultimately, Jesus Christ, though you have professed him, does not possess your heart or mind. Ultimately, you need to be born again this morning and be saved. And some of you are born again believers and you realize, you're realizing this morning just how far you've fallen away from your first love. Revelation chapter 2, two verse 5 says that if we have lost our first love, we should remember from what height we have fallen and then repent, right? Change our minds. If you're born again, it's the greatest joy in all the world. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And this morning, I hope you understand that being born again means salvation for your souls. It means transformation of your minds. And it means ultimately a transformation of your eyes. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we love you and we worship you, Lord. We thank you, God, for your word this morning. Lord, I'm a, I'm a weak vessel. Lord, but your word is not weak. Your word can convert any person in here from the worst of sinners to the most religious people in here. Lord, you have the ability to radically cause people to be saved and to be born again. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that work by the power of your Holy Spirit. Cause people to be saved in this place. And Lord, for those of us who know you as Savior and we are born again and we're confident of that, Lord, I pray that we would reevaluate our hearts and our minds this morning and be a people of your own possession, Jesus, zealous for good works. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.